Good morning, folks. Welcome to the Rangers Reviews Morning Briefing. We're on time again because it's not me and Derek. We're actually a minute early, myself and Tommy from This Is Ibrox. Tommy, thanks for joining us firstly, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, listen, thanks very much for having me. Uh, I'm doing well. Anybody who knows me will be wholly surprised that I was actually first on the call and early to something. So there mm-hmm. we go. We've set the tone really early. Yeah, yeah well, well, me and Derek have built up somewhat of an uh, unwelcome reputation for... <laughs> being slightly late with these things so um but anyway here we are we're obviously going to talk um all things rangers it's michael beale's first press conference today as rangers manager he'll be unveiled uh, in the blue room later on today i think about um five o'clock i'm going to be up at uh, the training center earlier with uh, some a bit of an open training session as well so looking forward to that and um, plenty as ever to get into and remember folks as well you can subscribe on the website uh, rangersreview.co.uk forward slash subscribe to access all of our work and subscribe on YouTube as well. Right, well, Tommy, let's start with um, the fact that Bill's been appointed. Obviously, we've not we've not spoken to you since that happened. You've been in the door for a few days, taken a few training sessions, done a few, a few interviews, and, and in my opinion, I, I think he's kind of nailed that so far. He's, he's communicating the messages he wants to. He's, he's saying um, things that I think supporters want to hear and He's a clever guy. I think he's mindful of how he portrays himself. This isn't a, a backroom staff who's not had his own voice and is and is kind of you know a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights in front of a camera. I think he's kind of thriving, being the main man. Um, just give me a reaction to him being appointed first and foremost, and then a little bit about those those first few days in charge. Yeah, well, the initial reaction is it's always the same. Whether you are fully behind that appointment or not, the Rangers fans then get in next to. And next to Michael Beale, I think he's a he's a gamble. Every manager or managerial appointment is to some extent on that sliding scale. You know, just because you've done the job elsewhere doesn't mean you're going to be a success here. With a litany of bodies across Scottish football, when it comes to that type of thing, but he knows the club. He's been very clear on his uh, articulation of his love for the club and the challenge that's ahead of him. He's certainly got huge amounts of goodwill from the squad and the support. He's been the board's man and whatever that can mean. He's got a really good relationship with Ross Wilson, etc. So, I mean, it's a good appointment in terms of that coaching on the grass element that people wanted to see and the type of football that people reminisce about under Steven Gerrard, maybe slightly glossing over some of the bad football that was played in there as well. You know, he's, he's not a messiah wandering out the wilderness here. That's when yeah. he solve all our problems immediately. But yeah, overarchingly, it's a... It's a positive appointment that comes with some caveats and we can't walk past them. But if he gets down to the bare bones of he is an up-and-coming manager, he's been quoted by other clubs, you know, lots been made of the fact of the EPL and stuff like that as well. There's definitely a, a grounding there of good football knowledge. Now he just needs to be given the tools to try and get some some action at Rangers. The, the point maybe inside that question is, how long will he get that goodwill for and what's the timeline we expect to see a change? Yeah. One of the risks that he faces right now is, because he knows the squad and has that history I've just mentioned, people are expecting an immediate, not just your usual new manager bounce, they're expecting an immediate uplift of performances of individuals and the squad collectively. Yeah, and I guess that's part of the argument for bringing Beal in at this point in the season because... Um, he understands the need to win every game. I, I, as I say, watching that, I don't know if everyone watched the Sky interview. I think it was two parts, probably about 16, 15 minutes in total. Um, but it, it was, it, you know, just from a journalistic point of view, from someone watching it, um, 
it, it was brilliant. There's lots of lines in it. You could see that Beal has these key messages he wants to put across. Speaking about reconnecting with the fans, with the style of play, obviously spoke in his Rangers TV interview about taking the handbrake off. So I think he understands that. And I'm not necessarily someone, Tommy, that comes from the viewpoint of you need to appoint a manager who, you know, has been at Ibrox before and, and, and knows everything. My opinion was very much get the best manager that will play the best football and that will give you the best chance of success. But I, th I think what they'll see in Beal is if it goes well, they'll have someone that, yes, he's only got 22 games in, in management. But I think that's slightly deceptive of, if you, if you count that under his experience, given the role we know he had at, at Ibrox, but also at Aston Villa as well. The fact Beal himself said in the summer he'd have been a manager before coming up to Rangers, if not for that opportunity, I think shows you where he was in his career. He'd obviously been away to Portugal as an assistant. Again, this isn't a, a kind of backroom staff appointment where he's only there because he's a tactician. Um, and, and I guess what they'll be, be hoping is that he can... Um, match all what he's doing on the trading pitch because we know that's what his main selling point is. But then he does seem to me, Tommy, just watching these interviews, and obviously I will all get a better taste of it today when his press conference is on. I think I think it's five o'clock, I could be wrong, but later on today, he does seem to be assuming that role of, of Rangers manager, Tommy, which maybe is something that people didn't quite consider as much because of his coaching background when he was previously at Ibrox. I think that's a relatively... Fair comment, and I you know, broadly broadly agree with it in terms of, you know, it depends what side of the, the bed you want to get out of this morning, what side of the coin you want to flip to or whatever, in terms of he's got more first-team management experience than Steven Gerrard had. Yeah. Right? In, in terms of, and he's, you're right, he's got a wide and varied cross-continent, multi-continent, pan-continent um, level of a coaching experience. He's been to Brazil and stuff like that as well. You know, he's, he's got a great grounding. In terms of the way that he's comported or behaved himself since he's come into the job, I think you're absolutely right. He's won the PR war, right? And some of that comes mm. in the goodwill. He's riding the crest of that wave. <clears> I've quite enjoyed watching him repeat in slightly different ways, but repeat those same central core messages. I expect us to have the handbrake off. I expect us to be more front foot. I expect us to be an attacking team, etc., etc., etc. And that's not just us that are listening to that. That's the board that are listening to that because they bought in the philosophy and, and hiring. It's the team who now know that whatever you know happened under Geo, there's a different style of play. And you know we can talk about Michael Beale quite rightly and his background staff and the philosophy that's going to wash through the club. We wash through the club, if you like. Those players in that dressing room need to take a long, hard look at themselves because there were several times where they just didn't perform under Steven Gerrard, several times didn't perform under Giovanni Van Bronckhurst, they went missing. So it's fine to say Michael's in, he'll have to do his work, and there'll be some tough choices with the squad as well. But if we want to see all of that rhetoric land sufficiently, then he has to win the, the conversational war with some of this squad as well in terms of you can't just be running on empty sometimes or you can't just be putting in a little bit of a shift. They, they can't go missing like they did under Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, who I think was unfairly treated by the squad in some respects. Another thing that he's been quite keen to reaffirm, um, which you can understand, is the fact that he's not Gerard's assistant anymore. Um, when we spoke to him in the summer uh, when he was unveiled at QPR again um, in that press conference, which you can watch on uh, our YouTube channel, it was the same and you could just tell that, that was one of the things he wanted to get across. Yes, he enjoyed a lot of influence under Gerard, and that in a way I guess earned him that QPR job because Gerard made no secret of that. Gerard was certainly very good for his career 
But Beal wasn't the manager, and he said in the summer I had a lot of influence over um, Stephen Gerrard and Gary McAllister's ideas, but uh, it wasn't my team. It's important you see the differences in this team. And then I think yesterday speaking, he said the work is slightly different. It's fair to say it's slightly different to what they've been doing, which I, th I think is interesting, referencing the, the training under Geo. But then he goes further and he says, and it's slightly different to what we did last time. Um, and he made a comment in which he said... Um, reference the hierarchy the fact the fact that he was the first team coach in his words he was a disciplinarian on the training ground he wasn't friends with the players um so so again th this isn't someone just coming back in who i think is he doesn't portray himself as being someone who's really pally with the players um and obviously he didn't have that he wasn't the manager so when it comes to maybe some of the tactical decisions that gerard didn't make and um, when it comes to topics about variation which i think is really interesting because of how it ended toward the end of Gerard's era and how predictable the football came. I think Beale has a benefit of the doubt because he's not been the top manager. But then the flip side of that coin, as you're referencing, Tommy, is that he doesn't have the protection of someone ahead of him now um, when things go wrong. He is the person who will be attributed with all the success because he's the front man. I don't think his coaches will have the, um, I, I guess, the personality or, or, or quite the public influence that he did under Gerard. But also when things go go wrong, which inevitably at some stage they will, when there's a difficult game, he's going to be the one that has to, to has to hold you know hold the can for that. So it's an interesting um, paradox with Beal, where at the moment I think he has all this goodwill because people aren't quite sure what his influence was; they just know it was big. But now it is him on his own, and and that's going to be a different challenge for him, isn't it? It is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, in any industry. The listeners or watchers here, whatever their jobs happen happen to be, managers are great, and it's great to be a manager when things are going well. Right? You've hit that target, you've delivered that result. Everybody's talking about your, you know, your successes. That's amazing. It's when the light starts to fade a little bit, and the windows and doors start to get shut to you, and people are slowly starting to turn. And it's how quickly you can one, and this is particular to Rangers as well, and some of the the narrative and the focus on that from a media perspective. How can you win the war of words? You know, I think Michael B was very good at getting inside that tactical part and making it clear to people what he's trying to do. And then how quickly do you keep the squad with you and get the results back? Because you're right. I mean, no club goes through, apart from maybe in a 55 season, no club goes through without getting beaten. But there's going to be difficult moments for Rangers under Michael Beal in the short term, the medium term and the long term. It's how we react as fans, how he reacts as that new front and centre, high-level job. With the best will in the world to QPR, there is it's a difference between a liner and a dinghy uh, in terms of the, the pressure and the focus that's going to be on his performance, not just on the pitch, but his performance in pressers, his performance on the training ground, etc. And that's where we'll see the best of Michael Beale. I, I'm quite confident in that, though, in that he'll have seen a succession of managers being able to work that. He understands some of the some of the pressure, well, a lot of the pressures related to football. The only minor concern that I have is I haven't seen it. So QPR were going through a slump uh, as yeah. we picked them up there. However, they were coming from a place where he had overperformed since the start of the season anyway. But nobody's really turned their guns on Michael Beale. I hope that never happens because he's nothing but a runaway success for us. But that'll be the interesting moment. The good thing is, given his history in the game, I'm sure his support network is pretty strong. Hmm. Let's talk about some more of his comments then, notably Kent and Morelos. Um, I'll paraphrase, but effectively he said that of course he'll have a say in 
contract situations. Um, obviously, the, the relationship between sporting director and influence of the sporting director and manager under Van Bronckhorst was something that came up quite a lot. Um, but but Beal effectively said, I want to keep them. Um, he also made some comments that effectively said, but if I think players are here and they're not, you know, all in to use a, a phrase um, that is, is, uh, is old boss did, Stephen Gerrard, then they'll be out the door. Um, I'm of the opinion at the, at the moment, Tommy, that Kent um, is someone that Rangers should keep. I'm not convinced about Morelos at the moment. Uh, Lyndon Dykes played a lot under uh, Beal at QPR, um, which is interesting to me because it, I think it shows that Beal doesn't need to, to use someone who can necessarily drop deep and, and always overload the midfield as, as Morelos did. But, but what do you think is going to happen? Because this is someone who had a good relationship we know with Morelos and Michael Beal. He said himself yesterday he's got a strong relationship with Ryan Kent and he's known him and his family since he was 14 years old. Because if Beal is to make somewhat of a success of this season, if there is to be optimism um, in May and hopefully some silverware, these two players, especially Kent for me, are, are going to be so important if he can get them back to somewhat resembling their best. Yeah, that's all extremely, extremely logical. I think in the short term, it's exactly that, getting the best out of those two players, um, maybe reinforcing either they stay at the club or indeed they put themselves in the shop window. Some of the, the answer to your question there is going to be driven by the market. Who is going to be interested in a Ryan Kent? Who is going to be interested in Alfredo Morelos? Uh, I th actually think more people will be interested in the former than the latter. That has to be said. And then it's can they be rehabilitated in the in the long term in terms of coming back to form? There's probably a question for those players as well. In that, have they had enough? You know, they get yeah. quite a great amount of criticism. Uh, I've criticised both of them, criticised Ryan Kent in particular, but I don't walk past the fact that he gives the team an incredible amount that we, we sometimes don't naturally see and teams think about him and have to double up and create space elsewhere and that's some of the point of Ryan Kent. The numbers do have to be better though. Alfredo Morelos, I, I think personally I've had enough of Alfredo Morelos and the 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 circus that goes round about him and how it's always, always about Alfredo Morelos. There's some criticism in there for, for the Bolden Ross Wilson as well in terms of we missed the, the opportunity to cash in with some of these players and the value has significantly, significantly disappeared. So it's really a Michael Beal question in that can he get something out of them between now and the end of the season because that's the only important thing, unless we get a small fee for, for them right now. I, I doubt that's the case, but get them to try and get us into silverware position by the end of the season. And then if somebody was pulling a gun to my head, I'll take Ryan Kent over Alfredo Morelos, I have to say, for all the personality stuff in the background. Yeah. And then about can he replace them? within the budget yeah. that we currently have because that's that's really the only important question for the post this season where the real Michael Beale transactions start to happen are they worth keeping are they worth replacing mm -hmm. can we replace them for like for like and again that's effectively what he said um he did comment on the the injury situation again in that sky interview he, he said for example you know he had Kima Roof who was the top scorer in the title winning season um which I guess is all well and good but Kima Roof has played how many games has he started successfully since then? I don't think that you can successfully, sorry, I don't think you can really even include him in the conversation until um, he, he provides evidence to, to suggest that he can do that. Tom Lawrence, he said, is going to be a big player. Yanis Hadji, um, we know Yanis Hadji's on track. Tom Lawrence has obviously had those uh, setbacks, but he's saying both of those players will be big for Rangers when they're back. 
for me, I wrote my newsletter yesterday, Tommy, which you can, um, if you go into the Twitter page, folks, I think it's on my Twitter page, you can sign up for free and you get a free piece um, emailed to your inbox every day at five o'clock. Um, everyone knows how much Michael Beale loves Glenn Kamara. Andy Halliday said, I think on Clyde Super Scoreboard this week, that when he was at Rangers, Kamara was Beale's favourite player. Um, he is someone that, in a way, has embodied the fall domestically um, of this Rangers team since they won the title. Well, almost going on uh, two years ago in March, um, substituted on uh, at halftime um, in Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's final league game against St Mirren. Yeah. I don't think that Glenn Kamara is going to be at Rangers for two, three, four seasons. He's 27. Um, I don't think it's any secret that he will want to go and play in the Premier League or, or one of uh, the top five leagues, as is always the case with, with players. But if, if Beal can, for example, get someone like Kamara back to their best, because of his style of football, and again, you can read this in the piece, in my opinion, the, the style of football just didn't suit him. All the, the things that he is best at, you see that uh, PSV away, what he can give you at the bottom of midfield. And, and yes, I'm sure his own individual um, responsibility must come into that. I'm sure he wasn't always at his best. There's probably a reason that he was the one that was often taken off at halftime. But if Beal can get some of these players back to somewhat of... of the form that they had under him and Gerard previously, then I think what the board and, and Ross Wilson will be hoping is that those sellable assets become a bit more sellable because at the moment you've got someone in Glenn Kamara who at his peak would have been touted for a lot more than he would have probably gone for in January or the summer had Giovanni Van Bronckhorst stayed in charge. So it's, it's important that although we can't just exclusively look to the past and try and recreate what he did last time, Beal does have to try and get a tune out of these players for more, more reason than one. Uh, no less than in someone like Kamara, if you can get a bit more money from him, that puts him in a stronger position uh, when, as you say, he has to go and get players in next summer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a fairly simple conversation with those players. I mean, I'm with you. I think Glenn Kamara is a, a very, very good player. There's an argument to be made that he's the best footballer, pure footballer at the club in terms of his understanding of the game and the you know work with the ball, etc. Completely fell off a cliff, as did a lot of players who like to you know bang the badge and all that type of stuff under yeah. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. But yeah, Michael Beale does have to come in and try and get the best out of him. I think Glenn Kamara is a massively sellable asset. And if mm -hmm. we can rehabilitate him and he wants to go, that's absolutely fine. Players leave clubs. It's not, not a problem as long as we get fair, fair value. And so it's about making sure that it comes back to the conundrum that Michael Beale has, right? Can he energise all the, well, all the squad, right? But particular particularly some of those players that were out in the fringes, out in the, the kind of frozen elements and not really not really part of it, can it energise them so quickly that we start to see results between now and the end of the season and we pick up a trophy? Michael Beale has to do what he never did as part of Stephen Gerrard's coaching yeah. team. He has to win a cup, right? It's a type yeah. of scenario. Let's, let's not walk past some of the problems that were there previously. But if he can do that, then it's a different conversation in the summer as we parcel players out. It's just about making them understand I'm, I'm asking you to go to the wall for me here and then you'll get what you want, which is we'll try and facilitate a move. Some of that needs to be squared off with the director of football, sporting director and the board because fair value is a... It can mean one thing to me, it can mean another thing to you. It's the, it's the number behind it. But these are the conversations that I'm sure he's been having. I'm sure he was maybe having some of them when he appeared at Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's deathbed when he was in the stands for the Aberdeen game. But... Um, yeah, you're hoping that the squad have bought into that philosophy because they know and they think there's going to be a dramatic tidal change, which it seems to be washing through. 
Yeah, John Holmes gets in touch here to say signed up yesterday to the website Top Content Top People. Thanks very much, John. You can uh, sign up with the link in the description if you've not done so already, folks. A question coming in here as well. No word on a fitness coach yet. Abil said yesterday that there would be one or two more additions in the coming weeks, David. So I imagine. Uh, that will be something that will be um, addressed in that time frame. Uh, let, let's just speak before we wrap up today, uh, Tommy, about formations. And um, why is he uh, getting in touch here to say, do you think Beal will revert back to the upside down Christmas tree formation? Now, I've got a piece on the website today, which I will pop in the comments, but you can also read it on the rangersview.co.uk that kind of tries to understand that. What what type of Rangers will Michael Beal's Rangers be? Because it will be different to before. He's, he's said as much. I think there'll be that, in the, in the immediate sense, you'll see a very similar shape on and off the ball. You'll want to press in packs, keep the pitch small. There'll be more recognisable patterns of play. Um, but he also has mentioned quite a few times, Tommy, uh, in interviews this week uh, when he was at QPR about the need for variation, new formations. That was always the what what undermines Gerard's football in the last in a year for me was that he just, or, or six months, sorry, he didn't have that variation and he referenced that in, in pre-season. He didn't have something else and it became too predictable for opponents. How do you think Beal will line up? And, and as you've referenced a few times throughout this podcast, it is important that it doesn't just go back to how it was because there was some great football played under that regime, but there was also some problems and over-reliance on crossing, to name one, that this time last year, everyone was talking about how good those problems had you know, evaporated. So... How, how do you think he will set up? How important is it that, again, there is that variation, there is new things that Beal introduces as well as some of the old? Yeah, it, it, it's seminal. Uh, that, that's how important it is in terms of, I think, one thing that people will notice is more in-game transitional change. So as we're a bit more fluid with the shape and the structure and our variation, as you referenced there, within within the games, it won't just be pop, 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 pop. Pop, 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 pop along the back line. Oh, look, there's somebody wide firing across and just hope for the best. I'm not saying that's exactly how it was under Giovanni, but there was that definite feeling to it. There has to be more variation in terms of going middle to front through the lines, particularly playing centrally. And then the recurring problem with Rangers over the last couple of years, people running beyond. It seems to be a consistent problem. We have been hampered with some injuries in there. You've referenced Lawrence, you've referenced Haji and stuff like that as well. I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see possibly slightly more aggressive defending as well in terms yeah. of there was a, a slight rollback of, right, let them come pretty close to us. I think we'll see the line go slight, slightly higher there and start to box teams in a little bit more and demand more uh, in terms of their movement as we pull them apart a little bit. However, again, there's not going to be wholesale changes in the playing squad. So you can change the structure sometimes. You're going to see some of the same things because it's the same people filling the same jerseys. I don't want to sound overly negative in the morning, although it's quite clear that I've not had my coffee. All right, but I, I think we just need to understand that he's not, I hope to be wrong here, but he's not going to flick a light switch and all of a sudden you'll see players who are a bit turgid turn into you know, Messi's or Mbappe's. We're going to have to go with them a little bit and that's where it has to be a, can we see iterative progression in terms of the performances, we might not always get the results between mm. now and the end of the season. But if we can, yeah. as a fan base, see that the Michael Beal philosophy is starting to translate, then you know fine well you're thinking, right, we can get something in the door and then we can change some of the, the players who are obviously not at it. But to the fundamentals of your question, I think I've given you what I think we'll see in fairly short order. Yeah. 
and the, the winners and losers of the appointment is another really interesting point because for me, I think someone like Tillman um, is a player that you will absolutely love uh, love working with. I think it will suit him more to be able to come towards the ball instead of always, again, this is included in the piece that I referenced on the website this morning, instead of always running in behind. Um, and, and the football in some aspects, people will say there's similarities between Gerard and and, and Beal, uh, sorry, Gerard and, and Gio, but in, in some ways to me, it's night and day if you look at the way that Gio always wanted his midfielders to run beyond. The perfect example of that's the Hearts game at home. If you watch that back, Hearts are playing a 4-4-2 and there's just so much space in the middle, but the midfield seems to be always instructed to run beyond the forward line. Um, and I don't think that always suited the likes of Tillman and it will be a different shape on the ball um, when Beal comes in. I imagine that the full-backs will be wide, but I think Red Van Yilmaz will be his first choice left-back. There was a comment that he made on the BT Sport podcast where he effectively said that Borna Barisic was going to be replaced by Calvin Bassey in that season. Um, so if he was going to be replaced then by that management team, I would be surprised if he's Beal's first choice now. But I guess you never know, obviously, because of his, his crossing ability. Um, j- just before we end, Tommy, is there anyone that stands out as a winner or loser for you? Because another interesting parallel is John Lundstrom, who maybe struggled under the structure of the Beal and, and Gerard midfield, thrived a bit more when he was given more freedom. Kent, will he play better when he's central or, you know, as opposed to the, the wide berth that he was given under Van Bronckhorst? Who, who stands out to you as kind of winners and losers in this scenario? Well, I think the main loser you actually already touched on, which would be Bola Barisic, I think I think that's that's pretty solid in terms of the take there. I, I do think, maybe somewhat controversial, but one of the winners might be Rabi Matondo. Ooh, go on, give me, give me why. Uh, I think the freedom that might be afforded to him and the chances, I do think there is a player in there, we've just not seen it yet. But yeah. if you look at the way that Michael Beale has handled the likes of Ryan King, you know, go to the wall, don't mind the criticism, build up that psychological resilience, and then just keep going. Because Ryan King, for all these folks, doesn't actually go missing, as some people kind of naturally say. He shows for the ball continually. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbi Matondo, I think, suffered from a lack of minutes, a lack of form, but a lack of belief. And I think... I think we might see something something that I might be wishing on a start, to be brutally honest. I did reference I haven't had my coffee, but I think we might see something there. And then, again, the big winner is probably going to be Glenn Kamara. I think we'll see a hell of yeah. a lot more than him. Other than that, the losers are going to be maybe short, sharp shock of people who just haven't been at it for a while. I think they'll mm-hmm. find out pretty quickly they're no longer required full stop, and that's no bad thing. So the big winner will be the club. There we go. Yeah, good line, good line. Great. Well, uh, Tommy, thanks for your time. Slightly shorter show today, folks, because as I say, I'm heading up to the training ground uh, just now. But thanks very much, Tommy, for joining us. Just if people want to uh, find you on Twitter or your your work at This Is Ibrox, Tommy, let us know where we can uh, find you. Yeah, thank you very much. And thanks again for having me. Um, I think that's two now. That's that's nice me for a Rangers review pin badge or something like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can find it across all the social uh, media networks in terms of uh, This Is Ibrox. Um, you'll find us on Twitter, YouTube, etc., etc. Please do tune in. I ask people to look at our new branded intro, which I think is one of the best ones in the podcast market. Do let me know how you think. Great. I'm going to look at that because we don't have one. So uh, that sounds like something we should do. Great. Well, Tommy, thanks for your time. Thanks, everyone, for joining. We'll be back probably later today after the press conference, definitely tomorrow morning. Uh, do subscribe on the website and on YouTube. And until then, enjoy the rest of the